What's up, Cyber and Crypto World? Hope everybody's doing great on this extremely cold February the 16th of 2021. This is episode number 110 of the Cybersecurity and Cryptocurrency Podcast. I'm your host, Eric English. All the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely my opinions and do not reflect the opinions of my employer. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at CyberCryptoGuy. All right, so if you're in Texas like me, you're dealing with some crazy weather and rolling blackouts. So hopefully I can get through a podcast here without the lights going out, but we'll see. It's been quite the week and very unproductive uh, work-wise, but I guess that's the way it goes. It's unfortunate because there's, you know, lots of people without power for, you know, 24 hours or more so far uh, all throughout Texas. So it's really scary stuff here. Hopefully we'll get through it here soon. So we'll just dive right in here. There's a bunch of stuff in cybersecurity I want to talk about. Um, specifically, there's a couple. Of, there's an article about um, the FBI and Signal uh, that was pretty interesting. And some updates on the SolarWind, SolarWinds hack. Also want to talk about some of the <laughs> lovely remote access to water systems going on in Florida, apparently. And of course, we'll talk about a lot of crypto-related stuff. The markets are going nuts. And uh, we'll touch on all those fun things. All right, so we'll start out with a crossover story. There is an Indian crypto exchange called Buy You Coin. Uh, buy and the letter U, coin, and they got hacked. And of course, uh, you know, we see more and more of these crypto exchanges getting hacked. It just seems crazy. But uh, I, I found another article that says that a lot of these hacks are from North Korea, allegedly. So uh, this one in particular leaked sensitive data of 325,000 users. So that's very unfortunate, of course. The data that was leaked includes names, email addresses, mobile phone numbers, encrypted passwords, user wallet details, order details, bank details, KYC details, and deposit history. So that is pretty much, <laughs> that's going to get your identity stolen there pretty quick. Wow, that's pretty bad, but uh, we've seen a lot of this happening. And, um, of course, Bayou Coin says they're investigating the breach and they're trying to fix it and blah, blah, blah. But when this happens to these kinds of exchanges, why would somebody go back and continue to use that exchange? You would think that uh, once they get hacked like this, it's pretty much game over. But we'll see. Uh, I've never used this exchange personally. I, I kind of stick to the big dogs as best I can because they typically are able to you know, recover from stuff like this and or prevent it altogether. So um, anyway, this one's unfortunate, but if you used Bayou Coin and you're part of that 325,000 users, you might want to go ahead and freeze your credit if you don't already have it frozen. I always highly recommend that for everybody, no matter what, because credit monitoring just does not get you what you think it does. And uh, most of the time you're paying for the credit monitoring, but a credit freeze prevents any new credit at all, period. Uh, so much better off freezing your credit than you are doing credit monitoring. So heads up on that. Uh, but 
I saw another article specifically relating to North Korea and how much money they've attained uh, via all these crypto exchange uh, hacks that they've allegedly done. So this article is um, apparently related to a report from the United Nations. So the UN is basically saying that North Korea has stockpiled 316 million in cryptocurrencies from various cyber attacks that they've carried out. So allegedly North Korea is using the funds from these various cyber attacks to generate money uh, to support its weapons of mass destruction and ballistic missile programs. And that's all according to the UN. So who knows, maybe <laughs> they're also responsible for this Indian crypto exchange as well by Ucoin. We shall see. Maybe there'll be some more details that come out about that. All right, some other news here about the old SolarWinds hack. So last podcast I talked about SonicWall and how they uh, were also affected by this breach. Well, SonicWall was also using a company called Mimecast for their email filtering. And so Mimecast was also a part of this big breach, unfortunately. And essentially the way it works is anybody using Office 365, they Mimecast basically has, has you set up a connection between Mimecast and Office 365 using a TLS certificate. And that certificate was apparently compromised. And so that basically allowed hackers to read emails potentially. Um, now they're saying that this still only affects the Microsoft 365 licenses, not the typical E5, E3 licenses that Microsoft issues. So Microsoft has a, a whole other licensing tier called uh, Microsoft 365. Most of, most of us have heard of Office 365, but uh, when you have Office 365, their licenses are named things like E3, E5, E1, whatever they are. And so apparently this only affected the Microsoft 365 licenses um, when they were used with this very specific TLS connection. Now, Mimecast also said that during their investigation, the hackers or threat actors, as they call them, I love all these names that they give them, threat actor. And they potentially uh, exfiltrated uh, certain encrypted service account credentials created by customers that are hosted in the United States and the UK. Uh, those credentials essentially are used to establish connections from Mimecast tenants to on-premise and cloud services, which could include things like LDAP, uh, Active Directory, Azure Active Directory, uh, Exchange Web Services, uh, some journaling services, yada, yada, yada. So Mimecast also recommended that you reset those credentials if you use those as well. So essentially, if you use Mimecast, what they recommended was to replace that certificate with a new certificate and also rotate those credentials on any service accounts that were used in conjunction with that. So it just keeps getting crazier and crazier. And I saw another article, I think, today or the day before where they basically Microsoft came out and said this type of hack must have taken over a thousand engineers to orchestrate 
that's a pretty large number of people. But, you know, with how sophisticated this massive attack was, I guess you can't really rule anything out, but they're saying it to do something this big would have taken about a thousand people. Now, who knows, right? But uh, that's a lot of people to to try to hunt down and hold accountable for all this. All right, some other news here. U.S. Cellular had a data breach as well. And essentially, the U.S. Cellular employees were tricked by hackers. And hackers were then able to gain access to these employees' computers. And once they're authenticated on that, they had basically remote access to that employee's computer. And they were able to browse around as if they were that employee and steal information and all kinds of other fun stuff. So if you use U.S. Cellular, I'm sorry, but uh, your information is definitely out there. Uh, They got things like uh, security pins and, you know, account numbers with U.S. Cellular. Of course, your phone number, your name, things like that, maybe even billing information. So why is this a big deal and why do I even bother bringing it up? Well... I saw in another article today that uh, a bunch of SIM swapping attackers were arrested. But these kinds of data breaches where your PIN and your phone number and all these things are published on the dark web after a massive hack like this, well, bad guys can use that information to do a SIM swap on your account and take over your cell phone. Why is that a big deal? Well, In the article I saw today, or yesterday, whatever it was, uh, about the SIM swappers, they basically targeted people uh, from various data breaches where they had pen numbers and things like that, and they were able to steal their cryptocurrency funds. Now, of course, if you don't use text messaging for your multi-factor with your crypto accounts, then you don't have to worry about this. But a lot of people and a lot of exchanges unfortunately still use a text message as a way of multi-factor and that's of course a horrible way to do multi-factor and you're bound to get hacked or sim swapped and have all your stuff stolen if that's what you use um, i've always recommended using a a soft token or an authenticator app like something like authy uh, google authenticator microsoft has a has their own um, I like Authy personally because it syncs between multiple devices. And Google Authenticator, I think, recently uh, provided the ability to back up and restore all of your tokens, thankfully, because that's what drove me away from Google Authenticator was every time I got a new phone, I had to go and log into all my accounts and reset my multi-factor and set it all up in Google Authenticator again on my new phone, and it was just such a pain. Well... If you use something like Authy, you don't have to worry about that. Everything syncs. It'll sync to a new phone, a tablet, whatever you want. And life is good. So highly recommend that one if you haven't checked it out yet. A-U-T-H-Y for all your authenticator stuff. But yeah, the bad guys are are using these kinds of SIM swapping tactics to steal crypto. And they, they targeted people and they were able to figure out somehow that they were, you know, storing crypto Uh, whether it was on an exchange or whatever. And they were able to steal their funds because now they did the SIM swap. They have their phone number. They can get that multi-factor code sent to their phone and away you go. So 
always, always, always watch out for that on anything that you use, especially if it's money related. If a site you're going to wants you to set up multi-factor with a text message and you're going to be sending money to this place or storing money at this place, I would highly recommend avoiding that and finding somewhere else to store your money. In addition, storing your money on any kind of online exchange for crypto, that is, is also just risky in general. Because as we saw with that Indian crypto exchange, Coin, they can get hacked. Now, Coin, I guess the good news there is no funds were stolen, but they got all that personal information. And so, you know, they could potentially use that personal information to carry out other attacks against that person. Uh, maybe even do SIM swapping against people now that they know that they have an account with that exchange. So the wormhole goes deep. But be careful with anything that wants you to use a text message for multi-factor or an email for multi-factor. That's kind of a joke, too. So make sure you're always using either a, a YubiKey kind of thing, like a hardware token or a soft token on your phone. Some privacy-related stuff. Apple recently, uh, Mr. Tim Cook came out and said that he is basically warning about all the algorithms on social media. And he's pointing to all of the disinformation and conspiracy theories that all these you know algorithms from Facebook and other social media platforms push um, you know via ads or sponsored content or whatever you want to call it. And Tim Cook is trying to fight back. And so Apple recently announced that they are going to push an update to iPhones, which will allow you to choose which apps can see and share your data. So essentially, I think Zuckerberg came out and said, like, this is breaking Facebook, (laughs) which is good. This is what we want because... It is getting crazy out there, and the fact that they're they're influencing so many people via these ads and targeted videos and whatnot, just because you're scrolling on your phone and you stop on a video, well, Facebook knows, oh, you stopped and watched this whole video. I'm going to send you other stuff that looks like that. And, of course, an algorithm isn't going to know that it's, you know, potentially some sort of fake news or a conspiracy theory or whatever. And it just drives people to essentially go crazy, if you ask me. So Tim Cook, he's pushing out an update to iOS 14. Uh, it actually may already be out by now. This article's, uh, I think, a couple weeks old. But essentially, you're going to be able to to track what these apps are what, what personal information these apps are taking from you um, via this app transparency tracking tool that they've got now. So that's pretty cool. That's, that's good stuff. I'm, I'm personally an Android guy, but uh, when I see more and more of this stuff from Apple, it really makes me consider switching over to Apple. Um, I've even tinkered around with Graphene OS, which is an Android uh, operating system that's basically got all of the Google services removed. It's de-googled phone, essentially. I've also tinkered with another one called e.foundation. You can Google both of those and find them. And uh, anyway, they're they're usable, but 
the unfortunate thing with graphene OS, at least in my opinion, I mean, I need my phone for work. Uh, I got to be able to get my work email on there. And a lot of the email apps, including Microsoft apps like Outlook for, for your phone, they require the Google push notification services so that you get notified when you get an email. Well, if you don't have that Google push service, then you won't get notified. And so therein lies the problem. A lot of these other apps too, they require Google services just to even run the app, which is very unfortunate. Um, but on Graphene OS, you can install the, uh, I believe it's called F-Droid. Yeah, F-Droid store. Uh, it's a, basically a third-party app store. And it's got a bunch of open source apps in there. You're not going to find like a Facebook app or anything, you know, commercial like that. Uh, but if you need an app like that, you can install the Aurora store via F-Droid and then download apps like Outlook and things like that, which is what I did. And, you know, I didn't get any email notifications whatsoever. So kind of made it pointless. Other apps that I tried just didn't work at all. So the privacy side of that, though, is great because Graphene is a very private OS. They take great pride in what they're doing to make it private. Same with the eDot Foundation. Very similar kind of stuff. But uh, even eDot Foundation uses Google microservices. So you're still kind of sort of locked into Google even with them. But Graphene doesn't have any of that at all, period. So it does have privacy advantages. However, usability is difficult. And... You know, when you're, when you're relying on your phone for work and your boss expects you to be answering things, it makes it kind of tough when you don't get those notifications. You don't know that somebody's emailed you or sent you a message via, if you use, you know, Slack or Teams or any of these messaging apps uh, for your phone, a lot of those aren't going to give you notifications. Uh, so that's just the big downside of, of using an OS like that on your phone. The privacy side is great. So it's, it's a big trade-off. So when I see what Tim Cook's doing and what Apple's doing, as far as privacy goes, it makes me really reconsider using Android uh, just in general. But still haven't made the plunge yet. Um, it's going to be tough when I do. I have a feeling I'm, I'm going to eventually get there because of all the privacy issues with Google and all these apps that track everything that you do. Now... Google typically follows suit with Apple on a lot of things. So I'm still waiting and I guess kind of hoping that Google will also come out with some sort of uh, app tracking transparency tool like Apple has. But that is, of course, yet to be seen. So we'll see. I'm, I'm leaning on the fence now um, of switching over to an Apple phone, but not quite there yet. And speaking of privacy, if you haven't seen this already, WhatsApp is also a Facebook-owned messenger. And if you use WhatsApp, they basically said here recently, they gave their users an ultimatum that said, basically, we are going to share your data with Facebook or you need to stop using our app. So that's unfortunate, but I don't use WhatsApp, so it doesn't really affect me. But just more data that Facebook is going to collect about you to send you even more targeted ads via all those algorithms we were just talking about. So 
If you're using WhatsApp, you might want to reconsider potentially and, and switch over to something else, uh, something like wire or uh, signal or anything like that, just to keep your stuff private if you can. All right, some other news about a hacker that modified the drinking water in a Florida town near Tampa Bay. And this was right around Super Bowl time. What's crazy to me is, in this article, they say that <laughs> the computer was used for remote access to these water systems to change the levels in the water. To me, that is crazy to hear. Like, wh why would we have... Why would we allow remote access to change, potentially change and kill people uh, by changing the chemical levels in the water? Why would we, <laughs> wow, why would we even set something up like that? That just seems really, really, really irresponsible to me. To make it worse, the system that they were using for remote access was Windows 7, and they had TeamViewer installed on this Windows 7 machine. And that TeamViewer account had a poor password, apparently, and no multi-factor. And here we go. So luckily, the town, little town was called Oldsmar. Um, luckily, other engineers saw it as it happened and changed the levels right back. Nothing was distributed via the water lines and whatnot, so that's good. But uh, the chemical they were talking about, too, is called sodium hydroxide. So I just, I just am baffled that we would use any kind of system for remotely controlling water chemical levels. Uh, to me, that's just insane. And here's a very prime example of why you should not be doing that. But it was also a Windows 7 machine? Come on, man. Seriously? with TeamViewer on it. So very scary stuff there. I'm actually surprised there hasn't been more of this in the world, but uh, maybe there has, and we just don't know, but I'm going to talk about scary, man. If you use TeamViewer or any remote access, you got to have multi-factor on remote access, period. That is so imperative to have for any kind of remote access, VPN, TeamViewer, log me in, go to assist, whatever it is, please, please, please set up multi-factor on there. And don't use a text message for your multi-factor either. <laughs> All right, some other news here. The FBI. This one's scary because it involves Signal, which is a end-to-end -end encrypted messaging platform that I'm typically a big proponent of. And after seeing this today... I really, really consider not promoting Signal at all anymore. I don't get paid by Signal or anything, but uh, I, I always just offer it up as an easy, quick way to get people on some sort of an encrypted chat or encrypted messenger. That way, you know, your ISP doesn't see what you're talking about and can't use that to serve up ads and whatever else. So the FBI apparently has very specific tools that allow it to access private signal messages even on locked iPhones. So there were some court documents that were obtained by the media that revealed all this information. But apparently 
this is based on this article. The FBI can intercept encrypted messages from iPhones in partial, what they call AFU mode, which is short for after first unlock. And in this article, it shows various examples of signal messages that were about selling guns and even attempted murder, which is scary. Uh, so I'm not against them you know, tracking down the bad guys for this kind of stuff. That I think is great, but on the privacy side of things, you know, this is kind of scary. Uh, if the FBI can do this, who else can do this, right? So very scary stuff there. So basically, the way this decryption works is that when your phone is in this AFU mode, which is after first unlock, that's apparently when your iPhone is most vulnerable to data extraction because the encryption keys are stored in memory. And apparently they are able to, the FBI was able to piece together the keys to unlock private data stored in the device. Now they're saying that the iPhone in question is either a iPhone 11 Max or Pro, or maybe even both. And they're also citing the second generation iPhone SE. They are, in this article, they're unsure whether or not this applies to the iPhone 12. Um, it also does not know which iOS version this phone was running. Now, Signal had a response to this. They said that uh, basically if somebody is in physical possession of a device and can exploit an unpatched Apple or Google operating system vulnerability in order to partially or fully bypass the lock screen on Android or iOS, they can then interact with the device as though they are its owner. So they're saying, you know, keep your device up to date, choose a strong lock screen passcode, blah, blah, blah. Now, what's interesting is Signal says to have a strong lock screen passcode, blah, blah, blah. They're also considering <laughs> what the FBI uses uh, to get those decryption keys as some sort of vulnerability. Um, to me, if the keys are stored in memory, I'm not really sure that's a vulnerability or not, but uh, maybe, maybe it is, I guess. Uh, to me, that's a vulnerability, not in uh, Apple or iPhone. That's a vulnerability with the way that Signal is written. I don't know why Signal would, uh, I'm sure they have to, you know, in some way, uh, get the decryption keys into memory. Uh, but... To me, that would be something that Signal would need to figure out a, a way around versus, you know, an Apple vulnerability. But, you know, Signal thinks that it's, uh, you just have a stronger passcode and you're good to go. But uh, this, this, this article says it's on a locked iPhone. That's what's weird to me. So pretty interesting stuff there. Um, not sure how I feel about that, but definitely something I'm going to be keeping an eye on because that is... Uh, very, very scary, and I've actually told a lot of folks to switch to Signal if they can't use something like Wire. I still uh, recommend Wire over pretty much all of them so far. Um, I like Session as well, but Session is very, I guess, uh, tailored to the tech-savvy, not to the non-tech-savvy person. So I do like Session quite a bit too, but 
non-tech-savvy people will want something like wire or signal to just for ease of use. All right, let's jump over to crypto. And wow, if you have not been watching the markets, it is insane. Bitcoin hit $50,000. Uh, I believe it was either early this morning or late last night when it hit 50K. So you want to talk about going through the roof. This has been quite the bull run this year. Uh, right now we're sitting at 48371 It did take a little bit of a dip. Uh, but we did hit 50K. So that's a huge milestone for Bitcoin. That is definitely an all-time high. And I think that there's a little more to come. But uh, I do expect a little bit of a correction here pretty soon. Now, if you've been living under a rock and haven't heard yet, Elon Musk and Tesla purchased $1.5 billion with a B, <laughs> $1.5 billion in Bitcoin. This was when Bitcoin was around, you know, thirty-two to 35000 which is still a, an amazing bull run we've been on. But as soon as Elon and Tesla announced that, uh, the Bitcoin price just went through the roof. And uh, we're still seeing it just keep going up and up and up. Uh, Elon also apparently bought some Dogecoin, and we saw the price of that go up and up and up as well. And it's just been crazy to watch. Uh, all the altcoins are, are kind of following suit once. It seems like once Bitcoin you know, hits a new high, then the altcoins slowly start to follow. Uh, Ethereum right now is sitting around 1700-ish. Uh, we did hit $1,836 uh, over the last 24 hours. So that's a pretty, uh, pretty good mark there that we've hit. So who knows how much further Ethereum is going to go. Uh, Ethereum 2.0 staking, by the way, is uh, if you're on Coinbase, you have to, apparently you have to register or get on some sort of waiting list for Ethereum 2.0 staking. Um, so you might want to jump on that waiting list now if, if that's something that interests you. But if you're not familiar with, with staking or with Ethereum 2.0 or what's happening, uh, basically, Ethereum, the original Ethereum, is proof of work, where you have to mine for the the next block and all that fun stuff. Well, Ethereum 2.0 is moving to proof of stake, where you're staking your coins and or holding your coins in order to earn rewards. So if you hold on to your Ethereum, you can earn. They haven't said what the return is yet, and... I'm sure that return also varies by how many people are staking by, you know, the price fluctuations and a lot of other things, but I'm going to assume you'll get an annual return of, you know, between five and 10% on your Ethereum if you are staking. So that's a pretty good return, but uh, you got to get on that waiting list with uh, Coinbase if that's something you want to do. Now, of course, you don't have to stake your Ethereum through Coinbase. And interesting that uh, Mr. Elon Musk also said that hosted crypto wallets are something you should avoid at all costs. Now, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, if you don't own the keys, you don't own the funds. So that's why you have to be very cautious with, you know, these fly-by-night crypto exchanges. You have to be very cautious with, you know, like Bayou Coin, for example, that Indian crypto exchange. I'd never even heard of them. And... You know, they get hacked. 
Uh, we've even seen big exchanges like Binance that got hacked a couple years ago. I mean, that was a huge coordinated attack. Uh, luckily, Binance was big enough and prepared enough that they were able to replace everybody's funds. But, you know, that was a lot of money that left Binance and uh, all because of hackers. So Elon's not wrong when he says you should avoid them. However, in some cases, you know, maybe that's just not doable for you. Maybe you don't want to worry about losing, you know, a, a hardware device. Uh, maybe you don't want to worry about, you know, what if your computer dies and you had the wallet on your computer and now it's no longer recoverable. Well, there's a lot of ways to back up your wallet and store it in multiple places securely. And if you're going to manage the keys yourself, which isn't a bad idea, there are a lot of steps that you need to take. And the biggest thing is to back up your private keys for your wallet. So whatever wallet you decide to use, um, I typically use Electrum for Bitcoin if I don't want to leave my coins at Coinbase. So Electrum does pretty good for, for me at least. And you can export your private keys from Electrum. Now, when you export your private keys, don't go upload them to Google Drive or something crazy like that or to iCloud or anything like that. When you export those private keys, you need to encrypt them in some sort of an encrypted container, uh, whether it's, a, you know, you can use Veracrypt, you can use, uh, I mean, if you want to use something like 7-Zip and encrypt it with a password, great. Do that. Store that password securely in a password manager with two-factor and then store those private keys securely somewhere as well after you've encrypted them. Don't just paste them into a text file and upload that text file to your iCloud or your Google Drive. That's a horrible idea. Encrypt it. Protect those private keys because all it takes is for a hacker to get a hold of the private keys and they now have access to all of your funds. So when you store your funds online, your private keys are managed and controlled by that online provider, whether it's Coinbase or Binance or whoever, doesn't matter. You cannot extract your private keys from Coinbase or from Binance or from a lot of the online uh, wallets out there or exchanges. So just understand that if you don't own the keys, you don't own the funds. The other downside to storing your crypto on an exchange or on Coinbase is, or even Robinhood. I mean, we saw that Robinhood's a great example, right? We saw where Robinhood prevented people from buying and trading certain things and selling certain things because they either got pressured by, you know, who knows, the bigwigs on Wall Street or whatever, um, but, you know, you couldn't buy or sell or trade the game stock, uh, stop, uh, stock, excuse me. So they were able to prevent people from doing that because their broker apparently was not allowing any more trading to go on. So all these, you know, online wallets and trading apps and things like that have to have some sort of broker. And sometimes they use a third-party broker, which is what Robinhood did, and that's where you see them preventing people buying, you know, various stocks. Now, on the crypto side, we've seen Coinbase 
prevent trading when there's gigantic price fluctuations. Um, I'm trying to think of some recent examples, but Coinbase will basically take everything offline and or just stop all trading on a particular coin as they see fit. Now, why is this bad? Well, a lot of people want to take advantage of the volatility and either buy or sell their crypto when the volatility is happening. And Coinbase prevents a lot of that. So what their motivation is, I still don't quite understand, but you know, Coinbase does it, uh, Robinhood does it. So you got to be really careful with the online wallets and they're going to be able to control the markets at least a little bit. They'll be able to shut down your trading if they see fit. And that's where, you know, owning your own private keys, keeping those safe and keeping your funds safe is definitely more ideal because then you can buy, sell, trade as you see fit, hopefully. And, uh, you know, the only risk there is you're, you're managing those private keys. And if you lose them, there goes all your money. So got to be careful. Either way, I think I was talking about Ethereum 2.0 and I got off on a tangent there. You can stake Ethereum 2.0 if you set up your own staking node. Now, this is similar to how you would do, uh, you know, if you're mining for Ethereum. Similar in a way, meaning that you need to have a server somewhere. It could, you know, really doesn't have to be a big major honking server, but you know, you could even use a, a decent laptop to stake your coins. Basically, what you do is you download the Ethereum wallet that is capable of staking. Um, sometimes you even have to open up certain ports on your firewall for staking. In which case, you know, you have to allow those ports, do some port forwarding to your laptop's IP address or your desktop or your server or whatever it is to allow that communication outbound and inbound. And when you're staking, you're basically processing, your, your server is, or your laptop or whatever, is, is processing transactions for the Ethereum network. It is not even remotely as taxing as mining is. I mean, not even a fraction. All you're doing is validating transactions. So there's no heavy computation um, as there is with mining. So you don't have to have some crazy graphics cards. You know, you don't have to have a mining farm. All you have to do is hold those. You have to have 32 Ethereum coins too, by the way. That's a lot of money right now with Ethereum at, what, 1800 bucks almost? Um, you know, if you have 32 of those guys, then you can do staking. Uh, and you can, like I said, you can do it yourself if you don't trust Coinbase. And uh, you just have to make sure that your, your staking system is always connected to the internet, it's always online, that your wallet is uh, open and running and able to process those transactions. Um, and you can look around on, I think, on medium.com for some articles on how to set up uh, a staking node. But it's not extremely difficult. It is tedious, but... It is certainly doable with some technical background. There's a lot of walkthroughs on how to do it. Uh, I'm sure there's some on YouTube as well. And you can set those up and do it yourself if you don't trust Coinbase. And if you don't trust Coinbase, rightfully so.
apparently Elon Musk does not trust them either. <laughs> so, but it has been crazy as far as the markets go. Uh, Coinbase is listing a bunch of new stuff as well. If you haven't been on Coinbase in a while, there are tons of new coins out there. They're getting in on all the uh, decentralized finance tokens that are out there. And all those DeFi coins, by the way, run on the Ethereum blockchain. So that's why the Ethereum gas prices are so incredibly ridiculous right now because of all those DeFi projects going on. They're just driving the gas prices of Ethereum through the roof. So we'll see what happens with Ethereum 2.0. Hopefully some of that uh, gets resolved. Ripple, by the way, is still in litigation with the SEC. Uh, their, their coin has, took a pretty big hit as well. And uh, it's unfortunate, but um, you know they took a pretty big hit. They're, and they're still doing decent because they all kind of fluctuate with Bitcoin. Uh, but Ripple's floating around 46 cents today. And uh, I, was, I was a really big proponent of Ripple for the longest time. And now I just I had to jump off the bandwagon because of you know the SEC ruling that, um, that came down, I guess it's been about a month ago now, uh, maybe even longer. But uh, essentially... Uh, it's a big, huge lawsuit that Ripple's involved in, and no end in sight, basically. So not many people want to invest in something that uh, could be taken down by the SEC, potentially. So we'll see how that all plays out, but certainly unfortunate. But uh, if you're on Coinbase, you can see that they've got um, a couple of tokens out there now. Yearn.finance is trading on Coinbase, so is Uniswap. So a lot of these are already out there on Coinbase, and you can buy, sell, trade as you see fit. Chainlink is out there as well. Chainlink has been doing great. It's at around $31. That's another big one to watch out for as well. Another kind of, I guess I'd call it uh, lesser known crypto out there that uh, IBM and Google are both supporting. Uh, it's called Hydera Hashgraph or HBAR is the trading symbol for it. I'm watching this one pretty closely because, mostly just because Google and IBM are a part of it. So we'll see where that one goes. I'm just keeping an eye on it more than anything, but Hydera Hashgraph is, uh, is doing okay. It's at 13 cents, not that great, but with the backing of IBM and Google, I suspect that, that one's eventually going to get up there, but we'll see. We'll see what happens with that one. But I am watching that one pretty heavily. And, um, yeah, I'm watching all the DeFi tokens. I don't I don't even know where to begin on a lot of those. They are so all over the place that <laughs> that I really can't keep up, personally. I don't, you know, I've got a full-time job. I can't, I can't keep up with it. But it is certainly crazy to watch all the DeFi boom happening and, uh, people are making some extremely, extremely good money on it. So if you know what you're doing, you can really make some good, some good money on it. But there's a lot of scams out there too. So that's the thing that always hurts crypto is so many of these, so many people, scammers get on these bandwagons for DeFi and whatever else. And, you know, they claim, oh, we're, we're changing the game. We're doing all these great things and, you know, come to find out. After they get your money, they're going to do an exit scam and take everybody's money and leave. <laughs> so 
that's one of the things you always have to watch out for in crypto not just DeFi, but just you know crypto in general you got to be careful with new projects that are not very well known and uh, make sure you don't get screwed because there are bad people out there that will screw you over if they see fit and they can make a few million bucks on you and a bunch of other people they're gonna do it so it's happened quite a bit in the DeFi space so watch out for those they're always going to be out there and um, keep your private keys safe and stay safe in general online all right folks that's all i got for today if you want to follow me on twitter i'm at cyber crypto guy at cyber crypto guy on twitter check me out on there retweet a bunch of the articles that we talk about here on the show thanks for listening and we'll talk again soon